This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled and Acadia Company. And today I'm joined by Mike Carlsvin, who is the co-founder of Analytic Index with a focus on product insights and technology and administration. Mike brings over 16 years of experience in product management, data analytics, and technology innovation in e-commerce. Prior to co-founding Analytic Index, Mike was a co-founder at OneClick Retail, which became Edge by Essential, and formerly worked at Walmart in Bentonville in their information systems division. Mike is an avid snow skier and mountain biker and can often be found in the mountains all year round. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you for having me. So we are at Bobsled, a proud partner of Analytic Index, and recently worked on a bit of research together called In It to Win It, looking at the relationship between Amazon sponsorship or Amazon advertising and organic search visibility with the view to answer the question more quantitatively than has been discussed in the past around to what extent is Amazon pay to play? And there was always this, there is a sense that it is and that sponsorship sort of trickles down in the form of, you know, conversions and visibility and things like that. But we wanted to really crack the case on to what extent paid and organic activity is aligned and launch something on October 6th that kind of sets out to prove that case. So here we are talking about that research and what we learned from that. Absolutely. This was an incredible experience to go through and dig in to that question that we're always getting from clients. Hey, how do I get around this whole, the Amazon tax or the pay to play? Is this real? Is it not? Yeah, absolutely. And so why do you think that there's been so much speculation around it, Mike? So this is one that I think that there's a lot at stake. And then there's also maybe a little information is not necessarily balanced on either side of the equation. Amazon has all of the information and thus holds more power. And the brands are left wondering or the sellers are left wondering, hey, am I being treated fairly? Is this just a tax that they're making a ton of money off of my back? I'm already the one supplying the products. I'm the one paying their fees in an FBA fees or vendor fees, and they're getting all of the benefits here. So I think that a lot of people are wondering, is this a fair business initiative for me to partake in, or is Amazon getting an unfair advantage in this situation? And so that's one aspect of why it's so important to them. The other side of this is I think that because the black box nature of Amazon search algorithms and their advertising equations and algorithms, what is actually the levers and things of that nature, I think that that gives a little bit of, it's hard to answer that question. It's hard to know just right off if you're there. And the data has been hard to come by. At Analytic Index, we're, we've got so much data that we're able to view this problem in another way to bring data to the table to help 
kind of dissect and peek into that black box just a little bit by observing what the outputs are here. Yes, definitely. And we'll definitely jump into that data set in a second. Just one follow-up question there. This pay-to-play or the Amazon tax and a reluctance by brands to pay an Amazon tax, is that so different to other retail channels? I think that's where, as I've been thinking about this, it's not a lot of difference between what's happening in the retail media sector versus what's been happening in shopper marketing and national marketing and trade type operations globally since the beginning of commerce. I think that where it's different is in e-commerce, everyone is used to seeing a little bit more data. So we're expecting such a quick return back of information. We want this instant gratification of knowing, hey, did my spend do something? And in an online world, you're expecting that. In the offline world, you may still have a black box, but it's still an expectation of, oh, well, that's just the way it's been. And I'm going to have an agency that I trust, but I've built a relationship with. And there's that trust happening there. And I don't know that there's a distrust with Amazon, but it's I think that people have different expectations of a retail media network versus their more traditional media outlets because the data is typically available on an e-commerce and it's never been available in that more media network to get to this granular level of detail. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I was talking with a sales leader at a CPG brand the other day and they were railing against Instacart because with Instacart, if you have a customer click on an ad and add that product to the cart and then the Instacart shopper is in store and that product is unavailable, they find a substitute product. And this CPG company was up in arms because they'd paid for that ad. They'd paid for the click. And I was thinking about it, I was like, that's not a whole lot different to running any kind of brand advertising or any kind of shopper marketing campaign where if your product is unavailable in the store, it gets substituted somehow. It's just, like you said, that direct line of sight that we can get with digital advertising and e-commerce, it's a little bit more direct and a little bit more painful (laughs) when we see an outcome that we don't want. Absolutely. I I envision like a lot of times when I'm thinking about e-commerce, I envision what would this experience be like if I were in a physical store and the same thing happened? You know, you're paying for an end cap or you're paying for a promotional spot in the supermarket and your item goes out of stock. Or let's say that a competitor has a lower priced item or even maybe the retailer's own private label has a lower price point. And you're walking through the grocery store and you see that suddenly your end cap that you've paid for is suddenly filled with a private label brand's goods, but surrounded by your messaging. It's something that it's a bit jarring and you don't see it in stores, but you do see it all the time in e-commerce and with retail media. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about this study and what we found. So with Analytic Index's data set, we were able to base this research on over 4 billion data points, over 21,000 product categories across Amazon's 21 main product departments, tracking 349,000 keywords across 11 million items. So definitely a very comprehensive data set to look at here. And we wanted to answer a couple of questions with this pay to play question, how much real estate is being taken up by sponsored placements, which is something that's been sort of more anecdotally looked at in the past. And 
then we'll also get to a framework that your team came up with, the sponsorship lift matrix to actually look at what kind of organic lift do sponsored brands lead to. So let's start with the real estate question, which is kind of trying to answer if I'm searching for coffee machine, let's say, on that first page of product results, how much real estate is taken up by sponsored placements as opposed to organic? Yeah, this was really interesting when we were diving into this. It was always something that we kind of suspected in the background of like, hey, there's just a lot more sponsorship and a lot more placements happening. And organic results are kind of getting pushed down further into the page and getting fewer spots on the page there. And with the coffee machine keyword in particular, and it's, I wish that I could say that this was just a very rare exception, but we're seeing it more and more. Out of 16 search result slots, and this is not including the, you know, you've got the sponsored brand at the top, you've got some carousels at the bottom, they're all sponsored placements. But of the, just the search result slots, there were 16 that showed up in this particular study here. Only four of those were organic. So 75% of the page was due to some other type of placement, not an earned position on the page organically. There was four sponsorship slots right at the top, right under the banner ad. Then we had four organic results on the next row down. And then there was a sponsored brand video ad. And then we had top rated brands. These happen to be from the our brands. So these were Amazon's brands being placed specifically on the page there. So when we look at all of those slots, with only four being the organic ones to be earned, it's no doubt going to become a question of like, hey, if for this particular keyword, how do I even compete just in an organic sense? Yes, definitely. And then we also looked at that by product category too, to see what percentage of sponsors slots are on page one. And it, we found a high, you know, there's some products that are much more sort of overtaken by sponsored slots compared to others. Yeah, when we looked at the breakdown, we kind of took all of this data that you talked about there. There was so much data and it was fantastic to be able to finally dig in and answer these types of questions. We kind of joined this stuff together to understand, okay, what is that saturation? And does it vary by department? Does it vary by category? Does it vary by you know, whatever the pieces there? We brought, When we looked at the department level, we saw that the one that had the most saturation, this is just kind of averages, was electronics with 21 and a half percent of the listings being sponsored. So that's one in five search result slots are being taken by an ad. And that's on average. In some cases, we're seeing more like the coffee machine where you're at 75% yeah. and other places in the, in the lower search volume type keywords or more obscure keywords where there's a lot less inventory there. Then when you saw like, hey, what's the least populated here? It was more like that grocery, apparel, handmade products who were all coming in around maybe 12 to 14%, 13% of their pages. So more like a one in eight type of sponsorship. When we kind of yep. th- pulled back the curtain a little bit on these, it was like, okay, what other questions or what other thoughts come to mind around this? Some of it is going to be, hey, this is where the action is happening with the shopper. Some of it is going to be, this is Maybe some more high margin type products might be fitting into where there's more sponsorships. There might be more dollars to be had and still have a profitable product versus some of these, the grocery and apparel and handmade products. It might have less saturation or a lower profit margin that kind of prohibits a bit of spend on those categories. Right. 
yeah, that was very interesting to see just how much those sponsored slots take up for electronics, computers and accessories versus there's quite a big difference, as you mentioned, going from 21% on average for those categories to just 12 or 13% for the less sort of competitive categories. And we saw this in a slightly different view as well around product categories that ultimately have a higher or lower correlation with sponsorship as well. So the concept that we sort of came up with here was mapping those 600,000 brands to what degree they are correlated between sponsorship and organic and some of those characteristics across organic search visibility, which maybe you can explain what that means, and then volume-weighted sponsorship. And we found there are four different types of brands in this sort of matrix concept, a sponsorship lift matrix, where we've got some naturally high performers who are doing well without a ton of advertising. And then we've got some brands who are advertising a lot, but not seeing great returns. Could you talk through maybe like how you, with the data that you had, uncovered these sort of different behaviors, if you will, across those 600,000 brands? Yeah, absolutely. This is where the podcast can take a little bit of a nerdy turn. So <laughs> the, let's, Stick with let's us. buckle up. Let's, <laughs> let's, get, let's get nerdy with the data. All right. It was fantastic. There's 630,000 brands, 650,000 brands coming across all these different categories, all these different keywords, you know, millions of items, so much data that we could bring this together. But where, you know, we kind of set this up, as you mentioned, the organic search visibility versus their sponsorship activity. So that way we could kind of get a correlation there going. So organic search visibility, first off, just to kind of give a quick definition there. At Analytic Index, we've come up with this score that we can then distill all of the organic ranks across multiple items, across multiple keywords, and where they're positioned at within that. So organic search visibility score is how we've done that. And this takes into account how many items does the brand have? Where are those placing in the organic ranks for their various keywords? For how long are they holding these placements? How many keywords are they reaching across this? And then we weight that by the search volume of those keywords. So it's really that shopper perspective. This gives us the ability to say, okay, well, how visible was your product? It's kind of a proxy for impressions if we wanted to simplify it down to a more common term. You know, how many impressions is this brand able to get? And when we think of impressions like this shopper is actually seeing, if it's further up on the page, you know, how likely is that shopper to see it versus the ones that are scrolling down the page? So that's our organic search visibility. So it's weighted by number of items, keywords, the search volume, and the ranks that those items are achieving within those keywords. And then we paired that with sponsorship activity. And so this is taking a similar approach. We're looking at how many of their items were occupying a sponsorship slot for which keywords, what was their keyword reach? And again, weighting by the search volume of those keywords. We took a narrower focus for this particular grid and analysis we wanted to keep a focus on just what was showing up in search. So it was focused in on the product search ads. Not to say that you know the sponsored brand and sponsored brand video and other ad types aren't important, but just for the purposes of this study, we wanted to narrow the focus because we already had so much data that led us to being able to really compare sponsored slots versus the organic slots. And are they correlated together? Are they driving one another? When we looked at this data, 
we saw that same, as you mentioned, that same correlation of how many slots are available on the page. You know, for the larger categories like electronics, it's saturated with that 21.5% on average there. We saw that same correlation that there's just a very high correlation between the organic and sponsored search activity that's happening in that category. And we saw a lower correlation with those categories that have lower and fewer sponsorship slots. Now, this is, you know, probably no surprise to Amazon who they're running their algorithms in a way that they're going to make sure that they've got enough ad inventory in an area that's highly competitive and has higher sponsorship activity and potentially has that, hey, this is driving more sales for those customers all the way down to, hey, let's, you know, maybe there's less demand for these sponsorship slots, but we want to keep a level of bid prices and, you know, keep some market dynamics alive by not oversaturating and keeping so much sponsorship slot inventory available that even small brands or small, small bids might make it so people could game those algorithms. So when we looked at the correlation here, it was really interesting to see that we saw that same type of flow of sponsorship slots available and how correlated the category was to the sponsorship and organic. This seems to me, uh, it was really interesting looking at the categories. And this is, if you're listening to this and wondering for your category, how competitive is it? Where does it fall in the mix there? You need to go to the link that we'll link up to in the show notes here so you can download the report and see all of the details that we're talking through here. But it was very interesting to look at this by category and observe some categories just being so much more competitive than others and having, like you said, Mike, more sponsorship slots and why that could be. With grocery, for example, we work with a lot of CPG brands. still seems quite competitive, but I guess in the sort of in the arc of competitiveness and how long, I think there's some relationship also between like how mature some categories are in the e-commerce landscape. So electronics, people have been buying electronics online for a lot longer than they have grocery items, which has been more of a recent thing with the pandemic and things like that, that people are really have really started to buy more and more grocery items online. So I think there's a few different factors at play here. And then one assumption that we had as well is just eyeballing those categories too is around product profit margins as well. And the categories with the higher margins seem to be more competitive. (laughs) They have a little bit more budget to throw at advertising conceivably. So any other assumptions that you'd have there around that correlation? Yeah, absolutely. This, you know, those correlations and those ideas around, hey, there's higher profit margins available or there's lower profit margins. I think there's also those budgets that are coming about from, you know, a CPG company. The e-commerce budget traditionally has been one of the smallest budgets they have. They're still spending so much more in their non-e-commerce channels. Yes. In comparison, whereas on electronics, as you mentioned, a lot of people are getting very used to purchasing electronics, either comp shopping and they want to just understand and doing some research around their electronics types purchases and a lot of that research is happening online and amazon is a great place to do that research where you can see multiple brands all at a time and you may not purchase directly from amazon but you're going to do that research your product research there i don't know how many people are going to pick amazon as their number one place to research bread brand you know brands of bread or milk 
it's not that common. It's not as uh, evolved of a e-commerce type category. It's not as mature there, as you mentioned. Yes. As we look at that, it's just interesting to see. It's that shopper behavior, I feel like, is driving much more of this because Amazon is so algorithmically driven that they really are accounting for what's actually happening in these categories. And their goal is to make sure their algorithms can reward the behavior that shoppers have. Yeah. And just leading off that, something that we notice with these brands who are seeing pretty high organic search visibility with less advertising than the average, these tend to be the big brands that are advertising outside of Amazon in a big way or have their sort of legacy brands, if you will, that have invested big amounts in brand advertising elsewhere. So I think this also kind of goes to that point of these might still be sophisticated brands with budgets, but they're just not being spent on Amazon ultimately. Absolutely. Yeah. So when we looked at kind of the quadrants and the four areas that we looked at, so there's the high organic with low sponsorship that you just mentioned, we kind of called that the organic winners. This would be like your Nike, your Adidas or Adidas for the European audience. Looking at these really stalwart brands, they don't have to spend on Amazon, but it doesn't mean that they're not spending somewhere or that they haven't spent to establish their brand. But they've earned this merit with the shopper that their shopper knows what they want because they've been advertised to before or through other channels. They've established themselves. When we see the high organic and high sponsorship quadrant, that's where we see a lot of, we call that one the pay to play. And then the low organic, low sponsorship, we went into just kind of more of a free market. This is more of the market dynamics that are happening where it's just, there's not a lot of activity. Everyone's just kind of meriting their different locations. Not to say there's no spend in this area, but it's just in comparison to the others in the category, it's that dynamic of, hey, you're less than 50% of the spend type of feel. And then we've got the other one that's, you know, the wasted spend is where we see low organic, but high sponsorship. And when we say wasted spend, it doesn't mean that you can't get out of that quadrant. In fact, your goal should be to spend effectively to get out of that quadrant and move yourself into more of that pay to play so that you can work yourself into the organic winners. And we've got different ideas around that that we can talk about. We're happy to talk to any clients about that. Yeah, absolutely. And this quadrant here is a mapping again of that 638,000 brands. And we can certainly, for brands who are interested in where they sit in that matrix, certainly reach out to either of us about with those questions and we can sort of map where your brand is sitting. Mike, you meet with a lot of your clients at Analytic Index and what advice would you have for a brand sitting in, I guess, any quadrant except for the organic winners? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, those established brands sitting in the organic winners, there are some strategies that can be done there, but you've kind of earned a position and you're driving a lot of great things going on there. But yeah, to the challenger brands who let's figure out how do you take advantage of this Amazon ecosystem to your benefit? How do you spend effectively? One of the things to kind of drive yourself out of the wasted spend quadrant, where you've got low organic, but high spend, make sure that you're taking advantage of 
all of the different Amazon ad types. You've got an advantage of being on Amazon because you're going to be commanding that shopper volume. If you could imagine, if you could get as much traffic as Amazon has into your D2C site, you'd be up there with those established brands and you'd be there. But as a challenger brand, you can take advantage of being in the Amazon ecosystem because you're getting that traffic. So take advantage of that. Using your sponsored brand ads to expand your keyword reach, expand your visibility. And it's really thinking of those keywords in the traditional marketing funnel. You know, you think of you know more of that awareness, making sure that you're on those keywords that are driving awareness for your brand and then driving those shoppers to get into that consideration set with those consideration keywords. And finally, do have also a strategy around on the conversion type keywords. These are your branded keywords that have maybe some of your product attributes. There's just a higher propensity to buy at that conversion level of the funnel. But Amazon does offer ad types across all of these areas of the funnel and keywords. That inventory is, of course, distributed across all areas of that funnel. Take advantage of each of those. Make sure that your marketing strategy has all three of those buckets of the funnel involved in it. Don't just spend on your branded terms. It's very tempting to do so because those have the highest conversion rate. And you're like, hey, look at this. I'm getting such a great return. And if you're managing to ACoS that Amazon is really pointing you to, you're going to put almost too much budget into that one bucket and you'll get tremendous returns on that, but you'll never escape this wasted spend and really drive yourself up into that, the pay to play and into the organic winners. If you're not participating in all levels and making sure that you're feeding your funnel with the awareness the consideration and yeah, also you're really speaking my language here. I might sound like a broken record because I feel like I bring this up almost every time we talk about advertising, but ROAS as a metric is a blunt instrument. And it is, if you're in this quadrant in particular with heavy advertising, low visibility, like you said, Mike, if you're managing towards ROAS only, or that's like the most important metric that you're going for, you're going to be sacrificing something and that is going to be the visibility of the brand and actually growing category share by, like you said, bidding on broader search terms, not just chasing that long tail of customers who are already searching for your brand, searching for your product. You might be getting a great ROAS, but you're not really growing your reach at all. Absolutely. What about the free market where this is an interesting one because there's low advertising generally and low visibility as well. And you had some interesting thoughts about what different scenarios might be playing out in this category and how would you recommend a brand go from here to that pay to play area where you know you're actually getting a good return on your advertising investment? Yeah, this is a very interesting and quite honestly, the most competitive category. Most brands are falling into this area, not because they're not spending or not because they're not performing at all on the organic side, but just because there's just it's low in comparison to the other players in the market. So one, be very aware of who else is in your market and who your real competitors are. Make sure that you've got some great items that can compete there. If you're not brilliant at the basics, it will be very hard to get out of this quadrant. So those basics, making sure you're in stock, making sure you've got great ratings and reviews, making sure that your product detail page content is there. But where you need to really focus to be making movements out of this is you've got to have all that base and that's just table stakes. You have to be there. 
where you focus next is on your search content, getting into your search content, making sure that, you know, really refining, does my title fit to where my keyword strategy is? Does my content actually match what I'm trying to drive in my sponsorship spend? By tying those two together, you're going to have a much more effective approach here. One of the phrases that I'd like to use is a lot of times brands are shouting at their shoppers through their sponsorship activity and they're spending on that, but they're whispering to the algorithm with their content. They don't have the same message between the two. And in Amazon's ecosystem, it's all about the algorithm. And yes, you do want to have sponsorship that's going to those customers, but you need to be just as loud and just as deliberate about what your content in your title which items you're choosing to put for which keywords at those different areas of the funnel, make sure that you're telling that same consistent message because that's what's going to now drive making sure that each incremental dollar that you're spending in this free market will also be working towards your organic ranks too. Great advice there. So we sort of managed to touch on the cornerstone part of this report, which is that sponsorship lift matrix and understanding the different sort of levels of competitiveness across product categories and within the ecosystem as a whole. I do recommend, if this is capturing your attention, we also discussed some other really interesting points in this report, like is there a point of diminishing returns? Is an always-on advertising strategy superior to a strategy where you're really doubling down on big events throughout the year? That is a big question for brands, particularly coming into the fall Prime Day event and Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but also for seasonal brands who have this question about how should we be allocating our spend throughout the year when we get most of our sales coming in in Q4 or in the summer months, depending on the product category. So that really good analysis there. And then also, Mike, you touched on, obviously, there are performance factors beyond advertising. If you're just focused on ads, there is a limit to what you can accomplish there as well. I'm really proud of the analysis that we did here and some of the takeaways for brands. Again, if you want to download this report, just find the link in the show notes here. It's at bobsledmarketing.com. And Mike, just in closing, is there anything else, any last minute sort of parting words of wisdom that you'd have for brands as they think about their sponsorship strategy in the context of, you know, what they're looking to do on the channel overall. Yeah, so the biggest thing here is know that you're not alone. Everybody is asking the same questions as you. At Analytic Index, we get very similar questions from a huge diversity of brands and clients. That it is a problem that everyone is facing and trying to tackle in various creative ways and test and learn. It's a great place to do that. It's a great ecosystem. You've got a lot of data at your fingertips. And if you're having trouble with data, we would love to help you out to understand what's happening with your competitors, what's happening with your advertising. How can you be more effective? We're happy to jump into the data with you. We love getting nerdy with you on the data side and providing recommendations there. So happy to help. Awesome. And we'll link up to Analytic Index in the show notes as well. Thank you for joining me, Mike, and great to work with you on this research. Thank you for having me. It was great to talk with you and excited about the report. 